Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello, my name is Kate Hudson Hall, and thank you for listening to Bulimia Sucks because we know it does. <laughs> now, this is a platform for people to share relatable and up- uplifting and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia and other eating disorders. And episodes include personal stories of where people are now and their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovery, and also to family members that have had a sibling or a child or even a parent that has had an eating disorder. And also to professionals who work with people with eating disorders. Now, my audio book, Bulimia Sucks, is now live on Audible and Amazon and iTunes. And if you'd be interested and you'd like a free copy, then please email me at katehudsonhall at gmail.com. And I will send you the specific code so you can download it for free. So just email me. And also the Bulimia Sucks digital pack, which I'm very excited about, has now launched. And this is a program that's designed to show you how to begin to take those steps forward in your recovery. And what is included is eight plus hours of video content and the PDF form of my book bulimia sucks also a hypnosis mp3 download to help you to move forward and a family of friends support ebook download and a relaxation recording for the times when you're feeling maybe anxious or stressed or whatever it may be and also access to the private Facebook group for ongoing support, and then um, regular Facebook live Q&A sessions with myself. So if you would be interested and wanted to find out more, so if you go to bulimiasucks.com, all the information is in there. Now, I'm very excited. Our guest today is Joanne Light. And Joanne has a doctorate in counseling and education. She is certified in coaching and emotional intelligence training. And after 30 plus years in education as a teacher, counselor and higher education administrator, she decided to create a retirement career in coaching, working as a parent empowerment coach. I love that. Working with families, helping them navigate through their life's daily parenting challenges that probably many of us have had in the past or maybe even going through. 
And Joanne provides support to parents, enabling them to discover what it is they need and how to get there. I love that because it's great. You may know what you need, but it's how are you going to take those steps forward to get there? And her mission is to guide parents in transforming their journey so they have more joy, feel more positive about themselves as parents and raise resilient and compassionate children. Ooh, amazing. And Joanne also has a free download um, and it's called How to Put the Joy Back into Parenting and Reduce Your Parental Guide in Five Simple Steps. Oh, we want to hear more about that and how we can download it, but we will put the link anyway below. And so Joanne is here today to share her and her daughter's story of her eating disorders journey. So welcome, Joanne. Thank you, Kate. Happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. This is fabulous to have you on. So where to begin? Oh, so tell us that you've got two daughters. Is that right? Right. I do have a third child, a son. So, oh, a son. But he's younger. He was younger. So he was younger. The daughters are the, the, the crux of this story, I think. Yes. It led to some of his issues as well. It, it's never ending. But yeah. yes, I have two, two daughters who are now adults. And it was just one of your daughters that had an eating disorder. That's correct. Was that the eldest or the? No, the mid, that... my middle child. She's, she's younger than her. Uh, by three years of her right. sister. And so, Joanne, so when were you first aware that she had issues around food and food. eating? And uh, I think M was about, she had entered high school. Uh, it was probably her, the end of her freshman year, beginning of sophomore year. It was very clear that she just wasn't eating enough and was very uptight when it came to food and would move her food around the plate and um, have um, many excuses for her eating. And Em was a very bright, uh, driven young woman. And she seemed, she didn't seem depressed. She just wasn't eating enough and got thin and, you know, in, in, the estimation of the culture she was part of and that was happening at the time. She looked fabulous, you know? Mm. So um, it, it was very, I was frightened and fear is a, I think a, a tremendous obstacle for parents today and your fear really, and your anxiety over what might happen uh, is, is overwhelming and is one of the things that I think as parents, we all have to face and deal with. But then you realize, I realized that there were certain things I could control and certain things I couldn't control. Right. And she was old enough to eat without my forcing her food or not forcing her food. And all I could do was control my reactions. Um, so I tried to be supportive, but also engaging in talking about it, which she was not apt to do as a 16 or 17 year old. 
She also has an older sister. This might be interesting background, Kate, to the story, yeah. who when she hit high school, um, after the, in the middle of her first year, um, decided that all this studying and being good at all these things, whether it be singing or getting good grades or hanging out with the right crowd, didn't appeal. And she okay. went whoop, in the other direction. She hung out with you know, you might want to call the wrong crowd. They were the kids who were more missed skipping classes and smoking weed and not necessarily following the conforming kind of um, path. It wasn't a linear path for Alex. And um, she had a lot of anxiety, but I believe that her sister, that Emily, who suffered with the eating disorder, watched her older sister and said, whoa, she's causing a lot of angst among the whole in the whole family and you know when one child is not doing something or dealing with an issue it affects the entire um the entire atmosphere uh, yeah the, the dynamics and the whole whole, yeah, the whole family. exactly right you're right dynamics is the word and that played into emily's deciding well i think i'm just going to be perfect and do everything right mm -hmm. and part of that for her was being the perfect female adolescent. She was going to be thin. She was going to get all A's. She was going to have the, the great loyal friends, the right friends. She got a, had a boyfriend who was a really good kid. You know, he was pretty perfect too. And she skated through high school being, everyone looked up to her. All the girls wanted to eat carrots and yogurt for lunch the way Emily was doing. So it it um, it was very hard to convince her that something was up. She I did cre uh, find a therapist who was schooled in eating disorders and I quote unquote made her go. Mm. But therapy, as you well know, um, and people out there know, if you're not really ready to do it and it's not a driving force in your inner in your inner self and in your heart, you, you might do it, but you're not necessarily gaining anything. I think seeds were planted, but nothing really changed. Um, and it was hard. It was hard as a parent. I, 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 I resorted to trying to be patient and understanding to crazy things like she would request nonfat cottage cheese or nonfat whatever on the uh, when she added to the shopping list. I'd get home and buy full fat cottage cheese, save the non-fat container and pour the full fat cottage cheese into the non-fat container. Now, I remember feeling, well, I'm being dishonest and I'm not being authentic, but I didn't know what else to do. I yeah. felt that she needed more calories. Yeah. So I, I tried silly things like that to change the dynamic. But when you have an eating disorder, um, it's, it's not, it's not just calories in and calories out, which is such a, a foolish, I think, approach to eating and, and obesity and all things societal. But M just, she decided that she was going to be that perfect, perfect kid in every way. And um, she, she reflects even back on this as that's what women were, girls were supposed to do. They should be thin. They should be smart, but not smarter than all the boys. Um, not too out, outspoken, maybe she was a funny kid, but not too outspoken. You know, your, your female voices, I feel still to this day, especially this is 20, 
20 years ago, a little less. Um, not too loud, not obstreperous, don't speak up too often, just find your little niche and, and, and go along. And society rewarded that. That was the culture for girls, for young girls. And um, it was a rough go. It was very difficult. Um, you worried I would wake up in the night worrying, what if she gets, you know, what if her hair falls out? What if she gets really, really sick? She could die. What What is going on? Now, she never got so thin that, you know, she looked like a, a, a Holocaust survivor. She, it didn't quite look like that. And you see, even women, parent, I see grown up women today who's so thin that they look ill. She didn't ever look really, really sick. But by her senior year, she sort of flipped. What does and, that mean? Uh, I'd say <laughs> that she had spent these years trying to be perfect and she was getting ready to go off to college. Um, did very well in getting into college and just she just got, I think, got jaded, just tired. And she gained some weight, which was good but um, seemed depressed. I think finally she seemed, you know, the depression kind of hit. But she went off to school and, in, uh, and had a pretty decent first year. I think went back to the finding people who were gonna be like her and watch what they eat and talk about what they eat and, you know, be part of that. And, but then I think by sophomore year, M, she just got, she almost got what I think she considered fat and depressed and unable to function on a daily basis. And taking all those advanced literature English classes was just not working anymore. And she called us and said, I can't do this anymore. And it was, I think she was 19 at the time, Kate. And it was such, um, I mean, I was totally freaked out because, oh my God, She's going to drop out of school. You know, you worry about the yeah, incorrect story. things. Oh my God, we're going to have to go get her. We're going to have to talk to her. Is she going to drop? She'll drop out of school. Like that would be, you know, parents today get so worried about things that are irrelevant in yeah. certain circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. We worried, oh my God, she's going to drop out of school, all that tuition. She she will get behind. She's she, she's going to lose um, her 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 go, her ambition, her, it was crazy. And when we saw her, she was just kind of a mess. And we spent, um, I think it took a couple of months before we found a program that was appropriate. But as I looked back on it, her deciding that it was time to change, that she needed to do something about it, mm -hmm. that she couldn't live that way anymore under that, um, pressure of looking in a certain way and being a certain way and not being her authentic self. That was such a wonderful breakthrough. I'm not sure I saw it that way yeah. <laughs> initially. Yeah, 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 when certainly you, yeah. I can just say to all parents, you can move your, your children towards something. And when they have a mental health issue like this, um, be, be vigilant and try to be supportive, but they uh, at least with eating disorders, you have to decide you're ready to to recover. Absolutely. I remember when when I had so I had bulimia for 15 years and I oh, I 
just must have put my mother, my brother says, my mother's no longer here, but my brother said that uh, I put my mother through quite a lot of difficulty. Um, and because it was such a long time ago, and I do refer to the 1800s, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, there was no help as such out there. Nobody was really aware because it was in the 80s. And the only oh, the only thought that my ever my mother ever had was knowing about Karen Carpenter and how she you right. know, ended up with, you know, having anorexia and then eventually ended up dying. She had, that's that's her that was her own only sort of um, view on it because there wasn't any details out there That's and right. so I know that my mother she did approach me a number of times to try and talk to me about my eating disorder and oh, for a long time I was just in denial and I remember I got very angry when she tried to speak That's to me right. about it I just wasn't ready and that's a difficulty but with the the knowledge that we have now and the help that's out there with you know with you know there were there weren't many books when I um had my eating disorder and I remember I did manage to find one book but it was it was just uh it was more of an academic book and so it was very difficult for me at that time to read anyway to um because my where my head was um so there wasn't any help right and that was just you know so difficult so at least now there is some help out there right for parents but I can't we imagine. had a difficult time finding the right help it was it wasn't easy and this was in the uh, late 90s and two you know early 2000s uh, yeah it was 2002 maybe that she finally you know we found a program but the programs are far and few between you'd think all these wonderful great hospitals at least in in the in the USA I don't know yeah. what was going on in uh in Britain at the time it it wasn't seen as something that should be focused on because yeah, I did a podcast, sort of, you know, what was expect girls. That's, that's a good thing. Girls should be thin. And, and yeah. I think Karen Carpenter's death made people at least, I mean, her legacy was that she at least made people aware that yeah. this was a real and then, illness. And then there was princess Diana, wasn't there? Yeah. And that was when people started to sort of wake up to bulimia, I think, and how, how incredible it was for her to speak out about that. That was, she, that was, she was very brave. Anyone who speaks about, out about their mental health issue, I think is a, is a caring, brave person. Mm -hmm. I did write to, I'm still waiting to hear from Prince William. I have written to Prince William and asked him to come on the podcast. So I'm oh. actually waiting for him to reply. I sent him a copy of my book as well. Oh, so hopefully, because I'd like him to come on and talk about um, his uh, how he feels about how his mother spoke out about her bulimia. So we'll look forward to that. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> plan. I, I, I look forward to hearing about it. Hmm. Yeah, so do I. Hmm. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so, uh, so at least now there is some help out there. But, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the early 2000s, I mean, uh, we had Carolyn, I had Carolyn Costin on and mm. she um, was the first person to set up a residential program in the States in the 90s. And that's Montenegro. Where, where was that program? I'm not familiar. Um, 
it's called Monte Nido and it was in Malibu is ah. in Malibu yeah and then I think they have in California yeah yeah <laughs> and they have them dotted around now there's one in New York apparently um but yeah so that was a really interesting story when she was on to hear you know so she's been sort of helping people for such a long time that's great fascinating yeah so but there obviously wasn't many any many residential um places when you were looking no no we um uh we wound up at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, but uh, MGH, you know, the Boston hospitals really had nothing that was significant or consequential at the time. They all do now, which is which is great. I think it's it's much more recognized. And but I think also at the time that we dealt with it, there were certainly some young men and and boys who suffered with anorexia, but it. It just it, it because it was mostly girls, I think that, you know, I, I'm not saying this from a sexist van, uh, viewpoint, but it, you know, OK, that's what girls that's what girls should look like. Not not that they should be sick, but that was the the, the ideal look. It's like how many and today, you know, the young girls, how many likes can you get? You know, yeah. how do you Photoshop or do whatever to look? perfect to look exactly what the image is out there and my daughter Emily projected that image and lived up to it she really um in her heart she felt she that was what she needed to do and, and the right, pressure and that there. The, the, the pressure, pressure that she must have put on herself to to strive to be right perfect 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 none of us is perfect no. and no parent is perfect but you certainly have to try um <laughs> to regulate those emotions and try to pass on you know the best possible the best possible scenario for your for your kids but it's hard you know you you it's hard for you know you you worry about the most tangential things when your child is suffering you know it's and they're in denial. So your mother worried probably about a, a thousand things that, you know, really weren't really directly affecting how you were, you know, handling your eating disorder and eating disorder. I mean, that, you know, that's kind of a stigmatized term. Mm -hmm. Not, not, I don't think so much anymore. Mm -hmm. And the bulimia is really a sad piece of it. Um, Emily always said to me, mom, later, she said, you know, if I didn't hate throwing up so much, I definitely would have added bulimia to, to the whole, you know, to the package. She just ate and felt depressed and, um, but didn't, she knew girls who they had parties, you know, bulimia parties. Mm, my gosh. People, we just don't know what goes on out there, you know, mm, yeah. it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. I don't know now. Has that is that helpful? What more do you need? Absolutely. So she so she went on the program, and then what happened after that? Um, she was there. I think it was about four to six weeks. Came home and spent uh, uh, what turned out to be a semester at home with follow up therapy and psychotherapy. Um, that I think was very was helpful. But, and she would write about the stories about what it was like to be at Hopkins and uh, what the daily routine was like. It, 
it was a locked unit. I remember going down there like three or four times and, you know, it was a whole serious thing that they really had a very, I don't know if that's how they handle it now. I'm not so familiar, but it was a very serious approach. Um, and she did fine when she was home. She took some class and she wound up going, but she was bound and determined to go back to college, to the University of Pennsylvania and complete her degree. Uh, she just was a semester or so late. Um, and they were very good about having her come back. I don't know what the university, I think the university counseling centers are pretty aware of these issues. And this, even though it was, um, you know, some years ago, uh, they were happy to have her back. She had to provide medical uh, evidence that she had taken care of it. And she had to promise to go to counseling on campus a certain number of times um, in a given week. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it became uh, more, more, I became more confident that somebody would, we were getting the help we needed. It's very hard as a parent to ask for help. You think you can do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, gosh, it must've been such a difficult time for you. What was the most difficult? Um, I think the most difficult was uh, watching her, watching her and being in denial. And I think realizing that I was a little bit in denial as well. I thought, okay, I'm trying to make it different, but maybe I just have to accept this. It wasn't, um, it, it wasn't, I just wasn't totally admitting that this was a serious problem. It seemed like, okay, this is something that makes me uncomfortable and makes me scared, but I think it took me a while to face it head on. I think she and I were both in very different ways in denial. Um, so what, 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 what brought you to the point where you thought, right, now I've actually got to understand and listen now? Um, I think I, I, I learned that I had to understand and listen and not feel that I could control it, that I couldn't, I couldn't control it. I could only control how I dealt with myself in relation to it and try to tamp down my fear and raise up my, my listening and my being there for her and, um, acknowledging the problem but her acknowledging the problem and i'm sure all the people kate that you have on your show who've been through this i'm i'm sure most of them say it was only when i was ready it's you know any mental health issue when you when you are in denial about it if you're in if you're depressed and living day-to-day non-functioning it's only when you're ready to do something about it that yeah. you, you and reach out for help seriously that help can can be had. So I think I think it was scary for me to just realize I was in denial to a point. And maybe should have done something sooner. Not sure what that something was. You know, it's um, my daughter always says to me, you know, I don't think there was anything different you could have done uh, is, is how she describes it to me today. But as a parent, you know, the guilt, of course, you know, that guilt trap. I should have done this or I could have tried that. We took her to 
Um, there was a program in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the evenings, and my husband and I would drive to Cambridge and sit in the car and wait for her to come back from, it was a group. Right. I mean, we made her, we did these things, but I, it didn't really make a huge impact. Because she wasn't she, ready. Exactly. She was doing it because we said, you got to do this, you know, this, look at you, you, you need, you need some help and we want to offer it to you. But that didn't change that we, I mean, you can't, it was a helpless kind of feeling. It was a scary, helpless kind of feeling. And I definitely empathize and feel for parents who have, uh, have, have kids with this issue. So please, moms and dads, look for it, you know, look for signs, you know. Uh, yeah, and I think what's really important is that if, you know, if you do think that your child has an eating disorder, to hop on the internet and find out as much information as you can about that. So you um, will have some knowledge about how, you know, what's going on and maybe have some more insight into how you can approach your loved one yes and and to ask for professional help early on i mean if you think your 10 year old is um is you know showing signs of of problems with food any kind of irrational kind of uh, you know, like I can't eat that and my friends don't eat that and I, I'm afraid to eat this or I won't, you know, I totally forbid. I, I've, I think parents need to immediately seek guidance, as you said, be it the internet, their pediatrician, mm -hmm. all the experts out there. There are many more psychotherapists who really are quite trained and, and able to help, you know, guide you th through and keep an eye on what they're doing on the internet because yeah. they have little groups, you know, what did you eat today? What didn't you eat? Why, why do you feel it's important? Um, because our relationship to food can be skewed very early on, very early on. I mean, my daughter has a little girl now who's about 17 months old. And I went one day, I said, Oh, look at those thighs. She's so cute. She said, do not ever say that to my daughter. That is, that's word, that's language that will not be allowed in my household. It's, you know, so there's definitely stuff that she has definitely absorbed and will pass along. So it's, it's a lifelong issue. You know, mm -hmm. I remember growing up and I had a sister who was overweight and I, my mother did nothing but knack her nothing but nag 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 so i think i came to parenting with this image that fat was really not a good thing that mm -hmm. girls shouldn't be fat so i think there's you know you you parent how you parent it, there, it's in your dna how you were parented and you have to consciously decide to dig deep and do the work to not um to to not replicate everything that you were you were given or taught I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. When I deal with parents. I think that's the hardest thing for them is to realize that they have to think about where they came from and what happened to them in their childhoods because it definitely affects what you do with your kids. Yes, because you have no guidance. 
So you think, well, I, yeah, this is the way to do it because that's how I was brought up. And then, you know, maybe the husband has a different, well, will have a different view on how to bring up a child. So then it's sitting down, you know, and thinking and talking about it and saying, okay, well, you know, this is what you think and this is what I think because this is how we were brought up. So how, you know, let's, you know, let's do some research and find out maybe what would be the best way to do that. Right. (laughs) Because otherwise we just naturally go flow with the way we were brought up. Right. And, and may ha- and you, if you say, oh, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I definitely won't do that. You have to really figure out what, quote, that was, Kate, in order to change how you do. And sometimes, you know, I, I remember several times in the course of raising the three of them that I'd say, oh, my God, I sound like my mother. <laughs> so many Let's, people say that. We cannot do that again. We mustn't do that, you know, because... I was brought up in a generation, uh, my parents didn't know much about what I was doing and didn't, it's not that they didn't care, they just didn't know what else to do. It was yeah. very hands off. And, um, but it wasn't as scary a world because the internet did not exist. And that definitely makes it much harder for young parents today. Yes, absolutely. You know, it can be a very positive thing, us talking about looking at research. But on the other hand, for for the young people, um, uh, they can research maybe areas that they that would be very negative to them. Right. But it's guiding them towards only looking at the positive. Exactly. And how they can get that help. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say, Jan, to... um, other parents, maybe they are thinking that their child has an eating disorder. What, what would you say to them? Well, this is going to sound pretty harsh, Kate. I would say that if they're suspecting that their child is not eating well or has maybe some mental issue related to food, um, that, of course, they reach out for help. But first of all, to look at themselves what are they just what are they modeling are they uh, and can their children hear them talking to friends about oh well we can't go there i can't eat that or i'm only going to have a half portion Uh, i think very it's amazing when a group of women get together somehow what they do eat and what they don't eat and how much they're exercising becomes a pretty pervasive tone and topic so I, I I suggest that all mothers of particularly girls who are 10, 11, and 12 is to look in the mirror and see what you look like and decide um, if you are appropriately modeling what you look like and the foods you serve and how much you harp on, well, you really shouldn't eat that or you should eat this. It sounds... It yeah, sounds absolutely. And do you part, make... But... Sorry. And, and also, you know, maybe looking at yourself and do you make comments about how you look you know constantly probably absolutely this dress makes me look fat you know it's as simple as that it is that is not helpful if somebody is consistent a child is consistently hearing that right and it's setting seeds for maybe for many negative behaviors dangerous behaviors it's really you know if you can teach your children a good relationship to food it's hard it's very hard but I parents, particularly those moms need to take a look at what they're doing. Are they, you know, putting on their 
leggings and working out excessively. I mean, it, it just is a model. Our kids watch us so carefully, even as teenagers. People think teenagers don't pay attention, but they do. And you are the most important model for them. And I, I really don't remember back then if I was a bad model in terms of um, what I looked like, but I know that I would think about going on a diet or talk about going on a diet probably more often than I should have. It right. just was there. People need to think about what they're portraying to. I mean, you can't think about everything. You can't filter everything that comes out of your mouth. No. But you can be start aware, self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the, the children are picking up not only hearing it, but they're also picking up the un unconscious patterns um, right. and behaviors of the parent. Totally. All the time. Yeah. I can't emphasize that enough. So I think my advice is twofold. Ask for help. Try to read about it, like you said, to learn what it might be and how it manifests itself, but certainly to look at one's own behavior. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But when I think back, my mother, she, well, that was probably part of the problem. She was always very slim, but not because she would, um, you know, restrict her food, but um, that was her metabolism. Mm -hmm. And so that was my sort of, that's how I imagined that I would be. And I suppose when I got to 18, I, um, I was a late developer, so I was always like stick thin. And then when I got to 17, 18, I became a bit more, you know, voluptuous maybe. But no, I was, I, but I was still, you know, slimish. But to me, I looked really different. And that was like, oh, my God, what's yeah. going to happen here? And I think that's kind of like a strain of where I ended up, where I did. Yeah. Um, it's, but it's easy to fall into it. It's pretty easy, I think, to fall into. And I don't know how many get on, on, diagnosed and people just kind of live with that indefinitely i i that's kind of scary too yeah but kids are listening they're watching and listening so it's hard but we need to be to be aware of the things that we say and do yes and that's a big learning for everybody here today hmm. so joanne tell us about the uh, the download um, I, I talk about um, burnout and putting the joy back into parenting and the things you can do, the steps that you can take to make it, um, to eliminate some of the anxiety. So learning when to, first of all, let go of certain things. When you have expectations is to moderate and, and, and deal with them. Self-regulate. I mean, our kids, especially our teens, because I, I often deal with teens, their emotional states we know are very roller coaster. But you can help your child and teach your kids to have um, a emotional balance if, if you have it. If you have learned to regulate your emotions, if you can work on not yelling and screaming and lecturing and showing up for your kids. Um, I think asking for help is one of the steps that I constantly um, hound parents on because it's okay. Don't go alone. Somebody might give you um, a helping hand that will turn out to be a wonderful, wonderful thing for you. Um, and 
also self-care. I can't emphasize that enough. You have to have some self-compassion and take care of yourself. It's really hard to do your best for your kids. We all want the best for our children, every parent. Um, and everybody has different circumstances that affect that. But taking care of oneself, however you choose to do that. Is it going for a massage? Is it having tea with a friend? Uh, whatever, it taking 15 minutes of meditation a day, even five, just making sure you have oneself. Yeah, absolutely. Making sure that you have that time for you. Yes. If because it is, even sacrifice if it is only everything five for everybody, it just, it doesn't yeah. work. You know, you run out, you lose steam. Yeah. Yeah. You need to refuel. You need to refuel. Mm. Yeah. Mm, I Ask that. for help, refuel, um, take a look at oneself. Yeah. Those are some of the steps. Oh, lovely. And, you know, mm. a, another good idea I, I just came to mind is to, you know, do some research on the internet about, you know, about teenagers and their hormones. You know, right. If you understood it a little more, you might might find it a bit easier to deal with it because it is it's like a roller coaster isn't it they're up and down it is. And firing. And it's their brain development teenagers mm. i love teens uh, they get a bad rap you know they're not all i mean and my own daughter was a, a risk-taking impossible teen in many ways but that's what their brains are doing they're they're pruning they're getting uh, only setting up uh, the things that they're interested in, and therefore they have to explore. So you you have to create an environment for that developing teenage brain. And just remember that 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 emotional piece of their brain, the amygdala, is way more powerful than their prefrontal cortexes, which you know regulate and are rational. But they can be very rational, insightful human beings. And I say, talk to the side that's rational. Don't you know? Don't emphasize. The, the irrational risky side of them they're 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 moody and yeah just learn to live with it learn to sh just show up and listen and don't I, I try to tell parents no lecturing Kate it you know how you just oh, you're late do you know what could happen to you and I, this happened and, that, and then you go on and on and you lose them they're not really listening but if you say gee this this made me very frightened that you were late tonight and you broke curfew we have set some limits Let's talk about this tomorrow. You know, take a breath. Get stand back, stand down. That's all I can tell you. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's great advice to actually step back and think. Try to. Okay, I'm very you're emotional right. about this right now. I need <laughs> to step away, and we'll talk about it tomorrow when exactly. you calm down. When everybody's yeah. calmed down. Research the teenage brain. It's fascinating. It really is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. They're and super learners. They can learn so much. Yeah. It's great. So great. So we'll put a link to the download. Okay. Um, on uh, below the podcast so everybody can find it. Wonderful. That's great. Yeah. And anyone who wants to get in touch with me, I'd be happy to, to chat. Yeah. So what's the best way to get in contact with you? Well, if the download will lead them to the gift, which will lead them to signing on to my email list um and hearing from me but they can also i love to get emails just out of the blue and my email address i think i sent to you as well uh it's joanne at joannehlight.com 
Yes. And we'll put if that somebody on there, emails me with a question, I'd be happy to try to address their concern and, and chat. Oh, he's happy to help. Fabulous, Jan. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, yes, it's been very insightful. Very insightful to hear a parent's view on on such a difficult uh, time hard. in your life. It is, it's very hard. I, I, I feel their pain and, and know that it's something to be reckoned with. It's not, it's not a simple, easy fix. Yeah. 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 So thank you very much, Joanne. You're very welcome, Kate. I hope this was helpful. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks. And I was just thinking that within the bulimia sucks digital pack there is a download for parents and family members to get some helpful ideas and tips of how to approach somebody with an eating disorder and and uh, maybe guide them towards that first step onto recovery so if anybody would be interested they could email me at katehudsonhall at gmail.com and i could send you just the pdf with that information on just wonderful. I, I encourage all the parents to do that. Yeah. Even if you don't suspect that this is an issue for your family, it's good to have background information. Yes. And yes. to know what to look for. That's great that you do that. It's a wonderful thing you do. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you. So that's all for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. And join us for the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. And as I mentioned earlier, check out my book also, which is on Amazon called Bulimia Sucks, um, to learn many different techniques to help you to begin to break through your painful bulimic behaviours. And I love to hear what you think. So leave me a review. So thank you to listening. And before we go, let us know what you think and then show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Buzzsprout or Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to it. So thank you for listening. And I look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Bulimia sucks but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon. 